Praise the Lord. Well, when my feet touch Zion, I'm going to lay down my heavy burden. Anybody excited about heaven today? I'm looking forward to a city not made with human hands. It's going to be a special place. And uh, I'll tell you, the more I think about heaven, the more I just want to live for the Lord and trust him. Praise God. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's grab them and uh, we'll get into the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. We're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures today and um, we're going to be picking back up in the book of Proverbs. Now, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. We are ending this month, our first quarter uh, in the year, which is hard to believe. And um, and so I've been on Proverbs ever since the beginning of this year. And uh, I think that I'm going to let today uh, be the last lesson. We're a little over halfway through, or at least when we get done today, we'll be about halfway through the book of Proverbs. And uh, we'll lay it aside, and perhaps towards the end of the year, we'll pick it back up and finish. Um, But I don't want us to just rush through it, and I feel like if I keep going at this point in time, I'll just start rushing, and uh, I want to be able to take my time. Uh, I I love the book of Proverbs for many, many reasons, uh, but as I've mentioned before, uh, I enjoy the directness of the book of Proverbs. Uh, you don't have to wonder what it's saying. It just—it's very direct, and uh, it's very—it's uh, very. At times, it can be uh, extremely um, harsh, even, which I think can be helpful to us when we're trying to understand how to be wise. How many want to be wise? That's—that's that's the entire theme of the book of Proverbs: is being wise, how to be wise, the importance of wisdom, and uh, I certainly want to be that way. So this is part five, and uh, we'll be wrapping up today for a little while. And uh, we'll begin in Proverbs chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number six. And this begins a theme that you see peppered throughout the book of Proverbs, a theme of associating with the right kind of people. Now, whenever you talk like this, uh, there are people that get uncomfortable because that doesn't mean as Christians that we should be unkind to anybody. Amen? Uh, We're not to snub people. We're not to be unfriendly. We're not to be unkind. But we are to be very careful with our close associations, with our friendships, with the people that we allow to influence us. I think one of the gravest dangers in modern Christianity is that we have an entire culture and entire generations, and I don't just mean my generation, I mean the generations uh, several decades behind me, who are almost 100% influenced by popular culture in Hollywood. What you are influenced by is very, very important. And as Christians, we need to be influenced by the word of the Lord, by the spirit of the Lord, and by the church of the living God. Those ought to be our primary influences. And of course, godly parents. Uh, That is how God designed it to be. Now, I understand 
that not everyone has godly parents, but God designed it for the family to be a loving, godly home that would train up children in the way that they should go. That's why Satan attacks the family above all else. That's why the family is the most attacked uh, unit and structure in culture today, because Satan knows if he can destroy the family, he can destroy generations of young minds. And so our associations are extremely important. Proverbs 13 and 6 says this, godliness, can you say that? Godliness guards. Godliness guards. I could preach on that, and I think I will at some point. Godliness guards the path of the blameless, but the evil are misled by sin. Godliness guards. Now, let me just pause and tell you that godliness and holiness and righteousness are given to us by God as a safeguard for our lives. They're not fences that keep us out of good things. They're fences that keep bad things out of our lives. How many are thankful that God has, has erected some defenses in our lives, things that guard us from the attack of the enemy? I, I tell young people all the time, uh, the world does a good job of making addiction seem like a lot of fun. But anyone who's ever been delivered from addiction knows that safeguards in our lives that keep us from those things, safeguards that keep us from things like alcoholism, for example, those are wonderful things that keep, that keep all kinds of dangers out of our lives. It would be a good place for someone who's been delivered to say amen. And so the guards, the safeties that God has put in our lives, even modesty, for example, modesty is a tremendous safeguard. And we ought to be modest and holy in our dress because it guards us from, number one, it guards us from lustfulness. Can I get a praise the Lord? It guards us from false advertising. And, and so all of these things are safety nets in our lives that are very, very important. And I thank the Lord that he has given them to us. Now, skipping down to verse 20, here we're looking at the, at the subject of associations. Proverbs 13, 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Can we read that verse out loud together? We're just kind of waking up here. Let's read it out loud. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Who you associate with is very important for your future, for your success. And I don't just mean your carnal success, even though it will affect every area of success in your life, but who you associate with will impact your spiritual success. How many want to run the race with patience all the way to the end? How many want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? In order to do that, you're going to have to be very careful uh, the influences and the associations in your life, who you walk with, who you, who you allow to speak into your life, who you allow to, uh, to impact your thinking. All of those things are very important. By the way, that's why Scripture emphasizes so many times that we should not forsake the assembling together of ourselves because the church 
the body of Christ, like-minded believers who have been who've been born again, who've been set free, who believe in separation from the world, we should gather ourselves together and encourage one another in our faith. We should we should worship together. We should uh, we should pray together. And uh, I, I'm not negating in any sense of the word. I said that one time and uh, a young person said to me, well, are you elevating uh, corporate prayer and corporate worship over private prayer and private worship? And I said, uh, no, because they're completely different things. You should have a private prayer life. You should worship the Lord daily. Your lifestyle is worship unto the Lord. Uh, you ought to find, you ought to have moments where you, where you catch yourself and you're just saying, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. Ever catch yourself in a grocery store or, or somewhere? I, I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll embarrass my kids because I'll be in the Walmart. And uh, it starts with prayer because, you know, you, you start buying groceries at Walmart and, and uh, you, you go in thinking you want three things and somehow you wind up with 300 things in the buggy. I don't know how that happens. And so that always sends me into a state of prayer. Oh, God, save us, Lord, from the spirit of Walmart. And so I'll be praying. And then, and then at some point, I don't know how to happen, I'll just start saying, thank you, Jesus, out loud, because it's a lifestyle of praise and worship. If you have a praise in your heart, you can't help but just let it out every once in a while. If, if you're thankful in your heart, if you love the Lord, every once in a while, it's just gonna, it's just gonna slip out and you're just gonna, you're just gonna have a little praise break right out in the middle of the street or something. That's okay. But, and all of that's wonderful. You should have private times of prayer and fasting. Uh, you shouldn't have to wait until pastor calls a fast to fast once in a while. Amen. I might get run out of town for teaching like this, but if the only time you ever fast is once or twice a year when pastor calls a fast, you're not doing it right. You ought to have private times of prayer and fasting. All of those things are important. You ought to have private times of Bible reading. Uh, Bible reading is, is not just something we wait for Sunday to do. It's not just something we wait till Wednesday night Bible study to do. We should be studying the word daily. Amen. Daily. All of those things are good. But there is something powerful that happens when God's people gather themselves together on the Lord's day, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. There, there's just something that happens when two or three people, like-minded in faith and unity, come together and begin to worship the name of Jesus. There, there's just something powerful that happens to our faith and, and, and to our hearts when we just start singing together and worshiping the Lord in one mind and in one accord. Amen? And so they're completely different things. Your, your Sunday worship, your Wednesday night Bible study, all of that should be an extension of what you've been doing all week long. But the Bible tells us that when we come together, something very, very dynamic takes place in the Spirit. And so we ought to associate ourselves. We should walk with wise men. And I, I often tell young people, you should examine your closest friendships. Now, for years and years and years, I always thought that uh, the phrase birds of a feather, ever heard that? Birds of a feather flock together. For most of my life, I thought that was a scripture verse, but it's actually not in the Bible. Not that exact phrasing. Uh, court, 
Now, my grandma, she sure made you believe it was in the Bible. Because she quote, and, and grandpa, I was thinking about Grandpa Smith the other day. He had me believing that brush your teeth was in the Bible too. But I mean, he taught it like Bible. Brush your teeth. Brush them every day. Wake up afternoon before you go to bed. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Anyone ever heard that one? Boy, grandma had me thinking that was in the Bible. And, and that exact phrasing is not in the Bible. But the, the idea or the concept of birds of a feather flock together is biblical. The principle is there. And so if you examine your friendships and all of your closest friendships never pray, they're carnal, they tell dirty jokes, they lie, they cheat, they're trying to pull you to do all kinds of wicked and immoral things. They don't care about God. They don't care about the things of God. They don't care about ministry. They don't care about the word of God. You better do a heart check real fast because there's, there's something drawing you to those people that's in your spirit and that ought to concern you. I'm not telling you not to love them or be kind to them. I'm just telling you, you need to be very, very careful because it is true that we are drawn to like-minded people. And so if you can't stand being around worshipers, you've probably got a Saul spirit. Hello. If you can't stand being around, around prayer warriors, then you've got something wrong in your spirit. If you don't like being around people who talk about the word of God, then you've got something, something very dangerous in your spirit and you ought to check it because he that walketh with wise men shall be wise but a companion of fools shall be destroyed and so we have to be very 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 careful who it is that we're associating with love everybody but choose your closest friendships choose your closest associations very 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 carefully and can i just say something i know not all of us will get this reference but i refuse to let taylor swift be the biggest influence in my life all right i, I i'm just not going to let hollywood be the biggest influence in my life i'm just not vogue magazine is not going to be the biggest influence in my life i don't in fact i don't want it to be any kind of influence at all in my life and we have far too many christians who are allowing influences into their daily lives that have no business being there. And so we need to walk, 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 walk with the wise. That's who we spend our time with. That's who we spend relational time with. All right, we'll move to the next slide, and I'll take you to Proverbs 13, 24. Now, the conversation shifts here to the subject of parenting. Everyone said parenting. This one is on my mind. I, as you know, I have two young children. Uh, my son's about to have a birthday on April 2nd. He's going to be seven years old. And, uh, and my daughter is almost taller than I am. I have no idea how or when that happened. But so I, on my own private devotion, I do a lot of reading about parenting and things of that nature. And so I... I I, some of these scriptures jumped out at me. Proverbs 13, 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. He that spareth his rod. So here we have a clear biblical mandate that uh, spanking is okay. Can I just be real plain? In fact, not only is spanking okay, but spanking is necessary. Now, I, I feel the need to just because we're living in a culture so politically correct, you can get attacked for saying something very, uh, very innocuous. But let me just pause and say, 
that there is, of course, a difference between beating and spanking. Okay, is that all right? There's a, there's a fine line there. One of the things that uh, I, I was reading recently that I thought was, was interesting is that uh, you need to be careful as a parent when, you, when you're spanking in anger because when you spank with anger, uh, that can quickly turn into something that is unhealthy and is not right. And so anyone who's ever been a parent will know that uh, you're going to get angry at your kids sometimes. Am I the only human here? You, listen, when, when they... Uh, we <laughs> All right, glory to God, hallelujah. We got in the car this morning, and uh, perfect example, and we had just cleaned our cars yesterday. My wife and I were cleaning cars, cleaning out garages, power washing, all kinds of stuff. Got in the car this morning, driving to church, and I look over, and my son had taken a crayon all over the back window of the car. Glory, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And uh, in that moment, you know, I was, uh, I love him, but I wasn't happy. And, and so in those moments, sometimes if you allow anger to take over, that's a very dangerous thing. But you absolutely have to be willing uh, to chasten your children, to correct your children, and to spank your children. Proverbs 19, 18 says, and this one really caught my attention. Chasten thy son while there is still hope. Wow. What a powerful thought. Now, child, I, I remember taking child psychology in, in college. And one of the things that they take, teach you is that there's stages of development. And there's formative years. We've all heard that expression. There's years where the formation is taking place, their personality is developing, their values, their ethics, their morality, all of that. And by the way, all of that develops at a much younger age than you would really uh, ever think is possible. And so uh, in, in the wisdom of Scripture, all of these thousands of years ago, the Word of the Lord was telling us that you know there is a window of opportunity for us to train up our children in the way that they should go. Now, we live in Western culture where, uh, you know, we got people who aren't growing up till they're 30. That's, the, that's my generation. That's the, nobody's acting. In fact, you'll meet 26-year-olds acting like they're 16. That's the culture that we live in. But that was not biblical culture. And we understand that as parents, uh, we, have to, we have to be able to, uh, to influence our children at a young age. And so it's important that we get a handle on those things as young as possible. Hebrews 12 and 5 says this, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? In other words, you're, you're not a son of God if you're not willing to be chastened by the Lord. But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. And so we need to be very, very careful that we allow as adults, see, we, we get to a place where mama can't tell us anything, daddy can't tell us anything. Now, I don't think that ought to be the way 
uh, that we are even as adults. But many people get to a place where they, they hit a certain point in life. No one can tell me anything. The preacher can't tell me anything. Grandma can't tell me anything. But can I tell you something? God should be able to speak into your life, whether it be through his word, whether it be through an audible voice, whether it be through conviction in a prayer closet, or it's the preached word of God or the man of God or your pastor speaking into your life. God is going to bring chastisement to his children. And none of us, including yours truly, can ever get to a place where we should be unwilling to allow God to speak chastisement into our lives. How many want to be right with God? Whatever it takes. And so, and so my attitude is, preacher, preach the word to me. I, I don't just need some kind of, you know, bubble gum and then go home and feel a little better. I want to be right with God. And so tell me, thus saith the word of the Lord. What is God speaking into my situation? What is God what is God speaking into my life today? Because we cannot be children of God if we are unwilling to be corrected by the Lord. And, and can you imagine, we've all seen, you know, we understand with little children, if you ever see a little child who, uh, who screams at their parents, or uh, I, was, I was reading a news article the other day, just a real tragic thing, uh, how more and more, they're seeing examples of parent abuse where children, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids are actually attacking and abusing their parents. And so I was reading a story about a mother. She asked her 12-year-old her son uh, to clean his room, and they had been kind of going back and forth about it for several days. And finally, he got so angry that he took a baseball bat and he literally beat his mother up. What a tragic generation that we live in. I'm going to tell you, this is why we need to go back to Christian values and Christian morality. Children, honor and obey your father and your mother. Uh, by the way, this, that, that is one of the unintended side effects of secularism. Because without absolutes, without the word of God, who's to tell any child what's right or wrong? And so we have this epidemic of children who are harming their own parents. And we instinctively know that's terrible. And yet sometimes when it comes to God, we talk back to God, we push against, we kick against the pricks. But I want the Lord to be able to, to chastise me, amen? It's uncomfortable sometimes. I realize it doesn't always feel good. I don't, I don't enjoy it. There's been many, many times. In fact, just recently, the Lord, the Lord just rebuked me. I mean, flat out rebuked me in a prayer closet. I mean, had me on my back. And I had to say, Lord, I am so sorry. I didn't even realize that I'd allowed that into my spirit. Anybody ever been there before? And, and it didn't feel good. I didn't enjoy it. But can I tell you, it was what I needed. And when I, when I got it out of my heart, when I let the Lord remove it from me, it was like a burden had been lifted off of my shoulders. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And when the Lord chastises you, you should always take time to build your relationship stronger. And, and one thing I've found about the Lord, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's our heavenly father. And he will come to often when the Lord rebukes me or chastises me or, or I have a moment where I maybe I, I was out of line and a minister had to talk to me. In every one of those situations, I'll tell you what God does. 
He makes his spirit strong. I can just feel the presence of the Lord in a powerful way. I always wondered exactly why that is, and, and then I thought about it. You know, whenever I have to correct my children, you know, my dad always used to say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm not sure I believe that or not, but, but he did say it. But then when you become a parent, you realize it really is true. It, 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 it's, it's, it's something about it. It breaks your heart. And, and every time I have to correct one of my children, I'll, you know, we'll set them down and tell them to stay in the room. And, and, uh, and then I'll leave for a few minutes and then my heart will just be broken. And I'll go back in that room and, and I'll just grab them and I'll hug them and I'll tell them, I, I love you so much. I love you so much, sweetheart. And we're going to fix this. It's going to be okay. We're, this, this, we're going to get this right. It's going to be all right. And in that moment, it's like between me and my children, there's just a love that builds. It, it, it's hard to understand why in a moment of correction it brings you closer together. I think God is that way. Sometimes he rebukes us and then he corrects us and he knows it hurts us and he knows it's painful. But then God, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. But then God will come in and he'll just lift us up in his arms and he'll say, but, but you're my child and I love you. And, and you haven't always done it like you should, but you're going to get it right. I, I, I have faith in you. I, I'm holding you. I'm walking with you. If I have to carry you on my shoulders, that's what I'll do. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's a loving heavenly father. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, if you ask your earthly father for a gift, he's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you a scorpion. Jesus said it's the same with our heavenly father. If you ask him for a gift, he, he's not going to respond with something that will hurt you because he loves you. Praise the Lord. Anybody love it when the Lord just brings his presence in and just envelops you in his presence? What a beautiful that thing that is. All right, I'm running out of time. I'll take you to the next slide. Proverbs 15 and 1. This is one of the most well-known scriptures in Proverbs, and the conversation has shifted to uh, the topic of words. Everyone said words or conversations. If you study the entire book of Proverbs at once, it's amazing how much of the book has to do with the things that we say, our conversations. In fact, I, I just thought it'd be interesting, so I was trying to go through the whole book and count the scriptures that have to do with words and conversations, and uh, I got to about 100, and then I just gave up. I realized it was going to take me a long time. Uh, much of Proverbs has to do with how we speak to one another, the things that we say using wisdom with our words. But I, I love this one. This particular scripture has been a blessing in my personal life over and over again. It says this, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. If you will if you will incorporate this scripture into your lifestyle, it will change your life. And I think that one of the first things that I see change in people who receive the Holy Ghost and they start trying to serve the Lord is their, their conversation. Have you ever seen someone who just had a tremendous anger problem and then God filled them with the Holy Ghost and their, and their demeanor changed and their, their conversation changed? But... 
but not only will God do that for you, but you still even, you know, some people have more of a, uh, a, a leaning towards harshness. Some people have a leaning towards uh, responding in an unkind way. And sometimes you just have to crucify your flesh and say, I'm going to be obedient to the word of the Lord. It may not be my personality, but I'm going to be obedient to the word of the Lord. You know, sometimes the people who say, well, I just tell it like it is. It's really just a, an excuse for just using no wisdom in their conversation. Well, that's just who I am. I just talk that. No, no, no. That's just an excuse for being unwilling to surrender your conversation and your speech to the Holy Spirit. And so one of the one of the finest things that you can do in your life is the purpose in your heart that when someone uh, says something unkind to you, if someone is trying to stir up a fight or if someone is is being uh, unfriendly or perhaps they're saying something hurtful. One thing that every single person in this room has in common is we have all been harmed by someone's words. Amen. In fact, it's amazing. There's people in this room who've battled uh, sickness. There's people in this room who've battled disease. There's people who've broken legs and broken arms. And, uh, and we would still, probably most of us would say that the most painful experience in our lives had to do with the words that someone spoke to us. Isn't that amazing? Out of all the painful physical experiences that we've had, and what that tells me is that emotional pain, spiritual pain, is far more powerful than physical pain. If I had to choose between a, an emotional heartbreak and breaking my leg, I would choose breaking my leg. Amen? Because words are very powerful. Words are very, they can either build us up. Scripture says the power of life and death is in the tongue. So words can either heal someone, they can be a salve to someone, or words can tear someone down and destroy them. And if you will purpose in your heart that when people begin to harm you with their words, that you will respond to them softly, calmly, carefully, measure your words. Don't just respond. Don't just lash out. Don't just jump out in anger. Don't allow your heart to take over in that moment. Because oftentimes what I've found is that a soft answer will turn away the wrath. A while back, I was in a little fender bender, and I'm embarrassed to say it was my fault. And uh, it was just a tiny little thing. It, nobody was hurt. It was no big deal. We were both going just, uh, just a few miles an hour, and I didn't see the car, and it, it was, but it was annoying. And uh, when I got out of the car, the, the guy jumped out of his car and he immediately started screaming and cursing at me. Have you ever had someone run up to you and just put, put their face right in your face? Well, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to keep your Holy Ghost when that happens. And he got, he got right up in my face and he was screaming and he was spitting. That alone made me want to just, mm, hallelujah. And, and it, it really, I did not, in fact, for a minute, uh, I, I thought he was going to attack me. I really did. I, in fact, it's the only time where I've really felt that strongly, like someone I'd never met before was going to attack me. And uh, thankfully, he was even shorter than I was, so I wasn't too worried about it. But, and he was a little old guy. 
he had that he had that small man complex you know and he was really going and uh, and in that moment I said I just stopped and I said hey hey listen listen all this screaming and yelling it's not gonna fix anything I said it just like that and just the calm of my voice it stopped him it calmed him out and he backed off and then of course I told him if he didn't stop I'd call the police I think that helped too but I said it calmly I said it quietly and 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 I watched as his demeanor changed. Now, I can promise you one thing. If I would have started screaming and shouting back at him, that would have been a completely different scenario. It would have been. But a soft answer turns away wrath. By the way, that's a lot easier said than done, isn't it? It's a lot easier said than done. But it's a very important thing to put in our spirit. But grievous words, grievous words, hurtful words, Negative words, mean-spirited words, unkind words, all of those things stir up anger. If you return evil with evil, you're going to produce more evil. But if you return evil with good, then you can begin to change the equation. That's an extremely biblical concept. Now, let's look at James 3. We'll jump into the New Testament for a moment. This will be as far as we can get. James 3 and 3 begins the conversation in the New Testament about our words, our tongue. It says this, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us. Anybody ever ridden a horse? You know, they put that bit in their mouth and, and you direct them with the, with the bit in their mouth. You turn them. And we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, huge ships, and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever their governor listeth. So a giant ship can be turned by one small rudder, by one small helm, relatively small compared to the size of the ship. Verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. So I think scripture is clear over and over again that the tongue, and our, or really our words, our conversation, our speech, are really one of the most dangerous things that we have in our possession. I've made this point many times before. I'm going to make it again, though, uh, maybe for the sake of someone who's never heard me say it. I think that's one of the reasons that God has chosen speaking in other tongues as the evidence of the infilling of the Holy Ghost. People ask me all the time, well, why would God choose uh, speaking in other languages? Why would God take control of your tongue supernaturally. That seems a little unusual. I think among many reasons, I think that God was choosing to show us that I can take that most difficult member of your body to tame. I can take the, the part of you that has hurt people and lied to people, the part of you that no one can, can stop, that no one can control. You ever tried to get a, a little child to stop talking? You can't get little kids to stop talking. You do, do whatever you want. You're not gonna, if they wanna talk, they're gonna talk. They're just gonna do it. 
You can't control someone else's tongue. But when the Holy Ghost gets on you, God can take your tongue and he can take control of your speech. He can take control of your language. And all of a sudden you're speaking with a heavenly language that mama didn't teach you and daddy didn't teach you and grandma didn't teach you. But God put it in your heart and God put it in your spirit. And he cleanses your conversation. He cleanses your speech. Verse 7, and we'll close with this. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Can I tell you, stand with me. I'm going to close with this. This wasn't where I intended to close, but we'll come back later in the year. Christians, if God has filled you with the spirit, he's put a heavenly language in your mouth. Vileness, cursings, bitterness, profanity, all of those things have no business coming out of your mouth. You should allow rivers of living water to flow out of your conversation. You should allow the Spirit of God to control your, your speech and your words, hurtful words, gossiping words, negative words, words that tear down. Those, those are salt water. Those shouldn't be flowing out of your mouth. And you cannot have fresh water and salt water flowing from the same spring. If salt water is flowing from the well or the spring of your inner person, then you know that you're contaminated somewhere on the inside. And you need to go back to an altar and say, Lord, purge me with hyssop so that I can be clean, Lord. Lord, go ahead and purge me of all of this stuff that is allowing uncleanness to come out of my conversation. Can we lift our hands right now? Lord, we want to be right. We want to be pure, Lord. I pray that our conversation would be always with grace, seasoned with salt, Lord. I pray that you would keep us, God. Touch us, Lord. Lift us up. We thank you for wisdom. And I pray that we would grow in wisdom every day of our lives. We give you praise. We give you glory. And everyone said in Jesus' name.